The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. There's a song that's written by a man named Todd Agnew, and he begins the song with these words. He says, which Jesus do you follow? Which Jesus do you serve? And it's a very thought-provoking question because it insinuates the idea that there is more than one Jesus that you could follow and more than one that you could serve. And as we look at our culture, we look at the, the world around us, it does seem like there's a Jesus for just about everything. If you want health, then there's the Jesus of Benny Hinn. Just, just believe in the Jesus that he's offering you, and you can be healthy. If you want wealth, there's the Jesus of Creflo Dollar and many other prosperity gospel teachers. If you want success, then it's the Jesus of Joel Osteen. If you want a Jesus that is all love and no judgment, then go for the liberal mainline Protestant churches. That, that's the Jesus that you'll like. He's all love, he's no judgment. If you want a Jesus that is all judgment and no love, then we got Westboro Baptist for that. Right? And there are many other churches that may not be quite that bad or quite that public, but they have that same attitude that Jesus is all about judgment and no love. And there's the Jesus of the environment and Jesus of the American dream and Jesus of just about everything. And so we ask ourselves a question, which Jesus do we follow? Which Jesus do we want to serve? And if you're here this morning, I think most of you would answer the question, I want to serve the Jesus of the Bible. I want to serve the Jesus of Scripture. So whatever this, this book says that Jesus is, that's the Jesus I want to serve. That's the one I want to follow. And I amen that. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's, that should be our goal. I, I don't understand why we would create any other Jesus other than the one that God presented to us. That is the best one, right? But can I tell you something that you probably already know? Following this Jesus is not going to be easy. It's not easy. It, he is not the easiest. If you're looking for an easy life, this, this is the wrong church for you. This is the wrong Bible for you. Because following Jesus is not always going to be easy. Uh, Following a man who said that the world hated him, and because the world hated him, they will hate you also, it's not always going to be easy. We're following a man who was despised by the religious people of the day. We're following a man who was crucified, the most shameful form of death you can imagine, humiliating on a Roman cross as his Jewish fellow countrymen screamed, crucify him, crucify him, and as the religious leaders brought him forth for that to be done. This Jesus is not going to be an easy Jesus to follow. And discipleship, true discipleship, following Christ and trying to be like him, is not for the faint at heart. And that is why many of us will fail. And that is why many of us do fail. And so here are the options, I think, for us. We can, number one, we can make up a Jesus that will be one that we can not fail at. It's one that we can follow and say, well, if Jesus is just, you know, the the Jesus of health and wealth and prosperity, I can follow him. I I don't ever have to worry about the difficulty that will come in following the true Christ. We can make one up. Or we can follow the real Jesus. We can follow the one that's presented in Scripture. And I believe and I hope that as we see the wonder and the beauty of the Jesus in the Bible that that will be all the motivation we need to follow him, no matter what the cost. I begin this way because this morning I want to look at one of the greatest failures, the greatest failure, of one of the greatest men that have ever lived. 
Peter was a leader. He was a leader of the apostles. He was courageous. He was determined. Um, He suffered much. He worked hard. And he loved Jesus. He really did. And so we're going to look at this hour of his life where it was just this complete, miserable, disgusting failure. A failure that really, as we think about it, makes our stomachs turn. This type of disloyalty. If there was ever an epic failure, this has to be it. But Peter was following the real Jesus. And so I hope that as we look at Peter's story this morning, uh, it will help us understand the, the amount, how much we really need Christ. How much we need him to help us every step of the way. How much we need his strength. How much we need courage from him. And how little we ought to rely on ourselves. Peter's problem, honestly, I think he had all the strength and all the courage that any of us could ever muster. And I think his problem was he wasn't relying on Christ to get him through this. And so we'll be reading a lot of verses, and if I'm going to kind of outline these verses under five different headings. We'll begin with the promise made, the warning given, the courage displayed, the offense of Christ, and the failure of Peter. So we'll begin reading in John chapter 13, starting at verse 36. This is the promise made. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord... Whither goest thou? Where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter, you can't follow me now. You're not going, you can't do what I'm going to do, but you will eventually suffer the same type of fate. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down their life? Thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Jesus is very clear. Peter, you're going to deny me. But Peter's position is, I will lay down my life for thy sake. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, and we'll get Matthew's take on this same scene. Matthew 26, verse 31, says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Though everybody else leaves you, Jesus, though everybody else is offended, it will never be me. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Finally, we'll look at the the Gospel of Luke. Let's see what Luke says about this event. Luke chapter 22, verses 33 and 34. And he, speaking of Peter, said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny me, deny that thou knowest me. So Peter says, Jesus, I will lay down my life for thy sake. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny me. Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And I believe... Peter was 100% sincere. 
I believe he truly thought that he would be willing to die to do whatever was necessary to stand by his Lord. So we have the promise made. But then in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, we, give the, we see the warning given. And we spent our time last Sunday night um, looking at this warning that Jesus gave. That as they were in the garden, Jesus was pouring out his heart before the Lord. And he was sweating drops of blood. He was in this, this terrible, terrible agony. He took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He took them with him, and he, he asked that they would pray with him. And they fell asleep. And so the warning given in Mark chapter 14, verse 38 is this. Watch you and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. It says, Peter you got to watch. you got to pray. And those two things, doing those two things, recognizes, Peter, you can't rely on yourself. You must watch. You must be on guard. And you must pray. You must seek strength from outside of you. You must have God's strength. And then he says, the Spirit is ready. The Spirit is ready. Peter's Spirit was ready, right? He, he was ready to do whatever was necessary. But Peter, your flesh is weak. And so we have the warning given. And number three, we have the courage displayed. Peter shows immense courage, and I think because of his future failure, we might miss this part a little bit. In John chapter 18, verses 1 to 12, we have Peter willing to defend Christ, and willing to defend Christ at the expense of his own life, possibly. John chapter 18, verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing that all things should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. That's, that's a part of the story that I really didn't pay attention to before this. But, but Jesus says, I am he. And just the, the strength and the power that he says that with causes them to fall backward on the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. They let the disciples leave. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The name of the servants was Malchus. Now, this, I mean, Peter here, I know that Jesus is about to correct him, and I know that he had the, the wrong understanding of what the kingdom was going to be like, and that, that he and his flesh thought that he would um, defend Jesus and stop him from being taken and, and ultimately crucified. I know Peter had ultimately the wrong thought process, but you've got to think, this is incredible courage, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that, that all these um, armed men, this, these soldiers come out to arrest Jesus, and you have Peter drawing his sword and really cutting off his ear? What was he going for? Right? Where, where was he aiming? I got to think that, that Peter missed. 
right? He wasn't going for his ear. And so Peter, is, he's bold, right? I mean, if he does this, and the end he was hoping for happens, he kills the soldier, then Peter's going to die as well. He's going to die a terrible death. And so at this point, Peter is showing immense courage. He is, it's misplaced. His idea of what what's, should happen is wrong. But his motivation is here. It's right. And he has courage. And so in verse 11, it says, Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put thy sword into the, the sheath. The cup which my father hath given thee, shall I not drink it? Peter, don't you get this? I have to do God's will. It's what I'm here for. Can I say no to to my father? Verse 12, Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And we know Jesus healed Malchus' ear and Peter was allowed to go free. And so, um, again, he has great courage. And I think that courage even continues in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. Because most of the disciples at this point, they flee. Most of them are already gone. After the garden scene, you don't hear from most of them ever again until post-resurrection. But in Mark chapter 14, verse, verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And imagine this meeting. This is like 3 or 4 a.m. They've got all these guys up. They've woken them up to, to put together this trial that's going to happen. And all of, this, all of these legal proceedings are, are wrong. None of this should be happening. This is a, a false trial. It, it, it's, it's completely wrong what's going on here. So they assemble these guys. It's four in, in the morning. In verse 54 it says, And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And so Peter, even after he's cut off the soldier's ear, I think he should be a little bit afraid of what's going to happen to him, but he's, he's not. He follows. Yeah, far off. He's, he's a little ways back. But he's so interested to see what's going to happen to Jesus. And so he goes with them into the high priest's house. And this is, even this is interesting because we hear that he goes into a courtyard and we think, okay, well, this is just like a public place. But how houses worked back then, if you had a nice home, then you would have some rooms on the outside, and you would have a, a courtyard in the middle that was kind of the family room type of area. It's, it's the, where everybody was generally allowed to come, but it was still within your house. It was still within your gates. And so Peter's bold enough to go into the high priest's home and find a place in this family room, this, this general quarters area, where he sits by a fire and warms himself because he wants to see what's going to happen to Jesus. And I think we see here once again, Peter's courage. But then you have the offense of Christ. Now we see Jesus has been arrested, his hands are bound, and he's been taken away to be tried by these religious leaders. Mark chapter 14, verse 55 to 65, we see the offense of Christ. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death. And found none. They do everything they can in this mock trial to find proof that Jesus should be put to death, and there's nothing they can find. Verse 56 For many bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. They get all these guys together and they say, You tell this story, just just make up this lie, um, this false witness against Christ. 
But as these people speak, they're contradicting one another. And, and it's just so clear that everything they're saying is a lie. And they're doing everything they can to find a way to put Christ to death, and they just can't seem to find it. There's no, there's no fault in him. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. Verse 57, And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses say against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What think you? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face. They put a bag on his face and they hit him. They buffet him and said unto him, Prophecy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hand. And here we have Peter, standing afar off, warming himself by the fire, and watching all of this happen. Just a witness. See what's going on. Now, what I want you to see here is that a few moments ago, when, when they came to take Jesus away, then it seemed as though Peter was happy to die beside Jesus. But now... They've humiliated him. Now they've spit on him, and they've put a bag on his head, and they're making fun of him. Now he sees that all of these religious elite are against Jesus. And Peter sits there, and he watches it, and some part of that, somehow that that part of the offense of Christ, that part of what it means to be a disciple, got Peter terrified. And we'll see what he does. In Mark chapter 14, starting verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. Servant girl of the high priest, just just a maid comes and says, you're, you're one of them. You were one of them, weren't you? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know him. Why would you even say that? No idea. Verse 69, the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth there, there too. Listen, Peter, we, we, we see you, we've seen you with him, and not only that, we can tell you're a Galilean just by the way you talk, just by the way you dress. Everything about you shouts Galilean. We saw you with him. You are, I mean, you're one of his followers. Peter's denied it twice already, and here he denies it once again. Verse 71, but he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And this is not Peter starting to, to shout out a bunch of curse words. This is him 
making a vow, a promise. He's he's swearing by himself or he's swearing by something greater that he doesn't know him. I, I, I vow to you I don't know Christ. Verse 72, and the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word which Jesus spoke on him before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. I just want you to, to finally look over to Luke chapter 22. And this is Luke's version of just those very final events of what happened here. Luke chapter 22, verse 60 says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. (laughs) This time we get this this little extra detail. That Jesus, as they've been hitting him and spitting on him and plucking out his beard and, and beating him, and all this is going on, somehow he catches Peter's eye right after Peter denies him for the third time. He sees him. Can you imagine that? What is going through Peter's head? I mean, he, he, he swore so vehemently before this that he would never deny Christ, and now all of a sudden, he's denied him. And as he denies him for the third time, and as the cock crows, he sees Jesus. And I wonder what Jesus' eyes look like. I wonder what, what that look was. I mean, Jesus would have every right to have a c- condemning look, wouldn't he? When you see your best friend deny that they even know you, after promising that would never, ever happen. Can you imagine the disloyalty, the the unfaithfulness that happens right there? I can't imagine how angry I would be if one of my friends did that to me, if they disowned me at the moment that I needed them most. But I don't think Jesus had a look of anger. I honestly believe that when Jesus looks at Peter, it's a look of almost kind of an understanding and a forgiveness. It's still a look of love. And every time we see Jesus respond throughout the crucifixion, we see him respond in a forgiving way, in a way he, where he prays that God would not um, hold those that are doing it responsible for what they've done. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And, and I believe when Peter looks at him, the reason he goes out and weeps so bitterly is because he remembers again how wonderful of a man, how wonderful of a God that Jesus is. And so here is a case study of Peter's failure And by all other accounts, one of the greatest men that have ever lived, Peter ultimately would go to his death for Christ. Many years later, after preaching the gospel and and having these same men that are beating Jesus beat him, going through some of the same suffering that that Christ went through here, eventually would be crucified. And the, uh, the history tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that his Savior was. That's what, that's what he said. And so eventually he shared the same fate as Christ. But why is it that he failed so terribly on this occasion? And what I want to look at briefly before we close is three things. I want to see Peter's weakness. Peter's weakness. I want to see Peter's brokenness. And then I want to see the greatness of Peter's Savior. And so let's look at Peter's weakness. Here we have Peter beginning at the start, filled with self-confidence. 
And initially, it, it comes off as commendable, right? It doesn't even seem like Peter has this arrogant pride. It just seems like he's sure that he'll never do it. Lord, I, I will never leave you. He says, um, though everybody else does, Peter, Jesus, I will not leave you. It's kind of like telling a friend, listen, I know you're going to go through something difficult, but I'm there for you. It's, it almost seems very commendable. But this is the first time that Peter has been confidently wrong. You notice as we read through scripture, we find very often it seems like Peter is messing up, and very often Peter's sure that he's right. Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that he'd be crucified back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus reveals to them that ultimately he's going to go to the cross, he's going to be condemned by the religious leaders, he's going to be crucified, and that he's going to rise again. And Peter's response there is, it says in Matthew 16, 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This isn't going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to let it happen. You're not going to go to the cross. His reaction here is to protect Jesus, which seems commendable once again. So he steps and he says, I will not let it happen. But ultimately, he is standing between Jesus and the cross. Ultimately, he's acting like Satan. And so God's re- Jesus' response to him here is, get behind me, Satan. You savor the things that be of men and not the things that be of God. S- Peter, you're so consumed with with this world's thinking, with mankind's thinking, and you don't realize that this is God's plan and this is good for me to go to the cross. He rebukes Jesus for saying that he would be crucified. Later on, he refuses to have his feet washed. Again, Peter is confidently wrong. In John 13, verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. He is sure. And, And, I mean, again, why is he so sure? Because it doesn't make sense for God to wash your feet. Right? It, it should always be the other way around. But Peter doesn't understand that, that without the sacrifice of Christ, he will never be cleansed. He can never be cleansed. And so this act of service is just a picture of what's coming, of the crucifixion to come, that Christ will humble himself to the point of death. And here he takes up a towel. Later he would take up his cross. And then we have Peter rejecting that he would ever deny Christ. Confidently wrong. Even after Jesus says that he will, even though he is willing to accept that all the other disciples will. Right? Notice how he says it there. He says, even if everybody else denies you, I will not. You just threw all the other ten guys behind you under the bus, right? Even though every... What if I said something like, hey, even though everybody in this church uh, is willing to deny you Christ, I will never do it. Pretty confident, right? Peter was confidently wrong. I'm sure you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't like that very much. Um, I'm sure his other disciples didn't either. But Peter is constantly rejecting what is true because he's sure he knows what is right. And then we go to the garden and Peter, we find, sleeping. Failing to pray in the garden. I don't think he set out to to fail at Jesus. I don't think he wanted to fall asleep. But falling asleep did reveal something. It revealed that he did not understand how weak he was and how much he needed to watch and pray. And I think when we combine all of these situations, what we find, the, the thread that runs through all of them, is that Peter is constantly thinking that he knows best and that he is strong enough, that his will is better than the one God has and that he doesn't need help to do what he is going to do. 
And, and there are a lot of parts of Peter's life here that are commendable. There's a lot of things that he's doing that I think he's doing with, with a desire and a love for Christ. But he's just not getting how much he needs Christ's help, how much he needs to depend on God's will. And the result here, ultimately, Peter has courage for a while, right? He does well for a while. And it's true that some of us might firmly decide in ourselves that we are never going to do blank again, or where we are going to try and stand for Christ, or we're going to try and do something that God has asked us to do. And when we do it in our own strength, we might say, listen, I've done it for three weeks. I'm doing pretty good. He had courage for a while, right? He cut off Malchus's ear, tried to kill the guy. He went to the high priest's house. So he was doing the right thing for a little while, but eventually, because he was relying on himself, Satan was able to get to him. For, for Peter, it seemed as though the temptation wasn't death. The temptation was he didn't want to be humiliated. And that is what Satan used because that was Peter's weakness. This is what we must learn from Peter. If Peter is such a strong guy, if he's such a courageous man, if, he, if he's in such great love with Christ, and he was able to fail so disgustingly, why would we ever think that, it, that we're not going to either? Why would we ever be so arrogant to think that we're just going to do a better job than Peter in ourselves? We are vulnerable. We should not be self-confident. We should not find all of our confidence in our strength in ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul writes, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you think you're going to stand, you better be careful because a fall is right ahead. Do not believe you're strong enough on your own. Satan has already won the battle if you're relying on your own strength. Those verses in in 1 Corinthians go on. The next verse in verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. There's nothing that you're going to run into. No trial, no temptation, no difficulty. But what's common to man? Many people have gone through those things before. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It's possible to stand. It's possible not to fall. Okay? There's, you're not going to go through a trial in this life or a temptation in this life that is more that you can bear. And so what it's saying there is it seems as though... there. I mean, Peter could have had strength to go through that temptation and to do right. But he didn't. And why? Because the Bible here says that God will make a way of escape. And as long as Peter was relying on his own way to escape, it was going to fail. But God has made a way of escape. And so we see very clearly in this story Peter's weakness. And then I think at the end of the story we see, number two, Peter's brokenness. We see him completely broken. Alistair Begg asked the question. He said, what is it that makes a person useful for Christ? What does a person need to be truly useful for Christ? And his answer was, brokenness is the key to usefulness. If we looked at Peter's life and we said, what is it that made Peter such a wonderful servant? What, what is it in Peter's life? What experience did he go through that made him so great after this event that he was standing at Pentecost and preaching the gospel and and living the rest of his life to preach the gospel, what what changed Peter? What experience? We might say, well, Peter was willing to leave his nets. 
right? He, he left everything and he followed Christ, wasn't it? We might think it was something like the transfiguration. He saw Jesus glorified. Imagine that experience. Wouldn't that change you? I don't think that was it. I think we can look at Peter's life and see that Peter was able to walk with Jesus. He was able to see his miracles. He was able to be taught by Jesus. But none of those experiences changed Peter like this one. Because it was at this experience that he finally realized how much he truly needed Christ. It was at this experience. All those things happened before this. And Peter failed desperately because he believed he was strong enough on his own. And now he's truly broken. Some of the most devastating verses in the Bible to read are the verses where you see Jesus look at Peter in the eye after his failure. Peter, in that look, just realizes how grossly he has failed. And so this is the darkest moments maybe in Peter's life. But these are the moments that I believe truly changed him. Because of the moments where he finally looked at Christ and he saw that he couldn't do it. That he was a failure on his own. So he had to face his own sinfulness and he had to face his own frailty before he could truly depend on God like he should. Do you know what I think we can learn from this? I think that what God wants more than our strength sometimes is our brokenness. I think sometimes we get this weird idea that we have to be something, somebody talented, somebody really special, somebody really strong, somebody who's done a lot of good in their lives already to be really a good servant for God. What we really need is brokenness and complete reliance on Christ. If you're at the point where you say, I can't do it on my own, then you're getting to the point where you're ready to be a true servant of Christ. If you think you've got it covered, you're in trouble. We needed this brokenness. We all need this brokenness. And so we see Peter's brokenness. And number three, we see Peter's great Savior. Jesus warned him. Jesus taught him. Jesus prepared him. Jesus did everything that he could to get Peter ready for this event. And then Peter fails. When he swung the sword, Peter protected him. Peter healed Malchus's ear. When he failed to pray, Jesus forgave him, gave him another chance, kindly reminded him. Immediately after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus looks at him. And all of this is just speaking to how wonderful and how forgiving of a Savior Christ was. It would have been so easy for Jesus to move on. A failure like this, it warrants, I'm never speaking to you again. I want nothing to do with you. You are no longer my servant. It really does. I don't know if there's any human being in this room that would go through what Jesus went through here and ever look at Peter again, let alone use him to, to be the rock that he built his church on, right? I mean, Peter's done in my books. He's failed. He's, he's disqualified himself. Look at the book of Mark, chapter 16. Jesus goes through all of this, and you know what's going to happen after Peter denies Jesus and he looks at him? Jesus will go to a cross, and he'll die for Peter's sin. That sin of denial, that sin of disloyalty, everything that Peter just did, all of those sins were on the cross of Christ. 
Christ paid the punishment for all of those sins. That is Christ's response to Peter's failure, to go to the cross and die for him. And then three days later, Jesus rises again. And I don't want to get too much into this message because this is what I'm hoping to do next Sunday night. But I just want to touch on one verse. So Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, bring spices because they're planning to anoint the body of Jesus. Nobody's expecting him to actually rise again, as he said. But then we have God who places an angel by the tomb, by the empty tomb, with this this important message. Mark 16, verse 7 says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. What love. (laughs) Peter just like, he, he does the worst thing he could possibly do to Jesus. And, and Jesus sends an angel to stand by his tomb with the message, go tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen again and that I will go with you to Galilee. I mean, specifically Peter. Specifically the one that just denied me. Specifically the one that everybody else would toss out. Go tell him that I'm risen again. And I know you know the story. Eventually, Jesus asks Peter if he forgives him and and if he loves him. And we just see all in this, the amazing love of Christ to take somebody who is that broken, who is that sinful, who who did such a terrible thing, and to redeem him and to make him useful. What incredible love Christ showed here. Peter's self-reliance resulted in absolute failure. And I think many of us probably share a similar experience. Certainly we were not put in the same position as Peter, but we've all been ashamed of Christ. We've all denied that we know him, whether it's in your actions or your words. We've all failed. In fact, I think we fail on a very regular basis. When we rely on ourselves, we will. Can I tell you something? There is incredible strength and incredible power over our sin that comes when we begin to watch and pray. When we understand our weakness and we look to God for strength. And then we find in this story that what Jesus does with absolute failures is he saves them and he uses them. He uses them for his cause. And so if you're sitting here today and you feel like you're one of those failures, good news. It is. God can use you. He can forgive you. You must repent. You must confess your sin. You must recognize your sin. You must turn to Christ. You must ask him to save you. But he saves us. If you know Christ your Savior, you must repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry I failed you in this area, but please use me again. He does. He is always forgiving. I want to close this morning by reading some lyrics to a song. Um, This song is written, it's on the CD, The Story. And it's kind of from Peter's perspective. It says, All my devotion and misguided loyalty, swinging my sword in the garden while you pray for your enemies. All my allegiance. I loved you and you alone, but who'd believe that I could mean it now that the rooster crowed? Now we're huddled up here, trying to swallow our fear. We still smell the bread and the wine, hear your words running through our minds, holding our breath now for what comes next now holding out for some kind of sign. But there's an empty cross. There's an empty tomb. Fire and wind now sweeping in, 
this tiny upper room. There's a hungry world, there's a risen king. Unlock the doors, what reason more could we ever need? So sing with me, I dare you to, because there's an empty cross, there's an empty tomb. And Peter, he failed. But Christ died for that failure. And he rose again. And now he says, take my message and share with other people. Take my love, show people what I've done. And that is, that is our task as well. I hope we leave this place realizing that Peter, he's not worse than us. His failure, it's not worse than ours. But the same Savior that, that saved him and that used him, that forgave him, can do the same for us. Let's pray.